If you have your Bibles, take them and open them up to 2 Kings uh, chapter 19. We're going to get to verse 10 in just a few moments. I'm going to warn you right out the gate, we're going to look at a lot of scripture today. So uh, this is buckle your seatbelt day. We're going to go in and dive in and hear what God is saying to us. Um, it's very important that we, we hear him. Um, I want to say next Sunday we're going to have a baptism. Sam Zeidman is going to be baptized next week. Yes, it's wonderful. And uh, so, and I, so I mentioned that to you because uh, there may be others that are in need of following the Lord in baptism. And if you are, uh, we could get you in on this one if you want to get with me quickly. Uh, or we can look at another time to do that as well. So what do you do when the, da- the deck is stacked against you? What do you do when the odds are not in your favor? When, in fact, you're, you're facing impossible situations? Uh, this story we're going to look at today in 2 Kings records one such dire moment in Judah's history. The king of Assyria is a guy named Sennacherib, or as I like to call him, Snack of Ribs. But we are fasting, so everything sounds like food to me right now. Uh, So Sennacherib, I mean Sennacherib, was the king of Assyria, and he was a dominant world leader who had conquered 46 city nations or kingdoms, and he was in a holy terror. Um, He brought his army of a quarter million soldiers. Imagine that in ancient times, 250,000 soldiers. And he camped outside Jerusalem. He he snarfed up a lot of the cities of Judah, and he was obliterating those that would not surrender. And he sat outside of Jerusalem and demanded the king of Judah, who was named Hezekiah, to surrender the city to him. Now, at that time, Jerusalem only had a population of about 10,000 people. And the army was somewhere around 2,000 people. So imagine those odds. 2,000 soldiers against 250,000 soldiers. Not good odds. They were overwhelmingly outmatched. And Sennacherib sends a full letter of insults and trash-talking to the king of Judah, demanding that Hezekiah give up the city. And this is what he said in verse 10. Do not let your God, in whom you trust, deceive you by promising that Jerusalem will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. Behold... You have heard what the kings of Assyria have done to all lands, devoting them to destruction. And shall you be delivered? Have the gods of the nations delivered them, the nations that my fathers destroyed? Before Sennacherib had actually sent this letter, he had earlier sent his field commander, a guy called the Rapshakeh, so you have Sennacherib and Rabshakeh, sounds like names for medications they give today. Um, Rabshakeh was a title more than likely, and it means chief of princes. And the Rabshakeh came and he set out around the city where the, the, those that were on the walls and those that could hear him, he proclaimed in their native tongue 
some trash talk. He's talking smack. And so this is what he said back in chapter 18, verse 28. Hear the word of the great king, this king of Assyria. Thus says the king, do not let Hezekiah deceive you. For he will not be able to deliver you out of my hand. Do not let Hezekiah make you trust in the Lord by saying, the Lord will surely deliver us and this city will not be given into the hand of the king of Assyria. <laughs> Sennacherib and the Rabshakeh, they're, uh, they're engaging in psychological warfare. They are, without drawing a sword, they are attempting to get this city to surrender and they're intimidating every opponent they can uh, before the war even begins and why not i mean they have obliterated everybody that's been in their path up to this point they can easily squash hezekiah and his measly little army how does hezekiah respond look at verse 14 of second kings 19. <clears throat> Hezekiah received the letter from the hand of the messengers and read it. And Hezekiah went up to the house of the Lord and spread it before the Lord. Now, let me just pause right there. I think this is a side note of how we are to handle the problems that seem insurmountable in our lives. When we receive a report, when we receive a notice, when we receive mocking and trash talking from our enemy, who is trying to get us to give in before we even put up a fight. What we're to do is what Hezekiah did here. He, he went to the house of the Lord and he laid out the report before God. He let God read what was said. As if to say, this is your letter, not to me. It's addressed to you. When we have a report and something come against us that is hostile and is sent from the enemy of he from hell itself, that's what we're to do. Go into God's presence and lay it out before the Lord and say, this belongs to you. So that's what Hezekiah did, verse 15. And he prayed before the Lord and he said, oh Lord, the God of Israel, enthroned above the cherubim, you are the God, you alone of all the kingdoms of the earth. You have made heaven and earth. Incline your ear, O Lord, and hear. Open your eyes, O Lord, and see, and hear the words of Sennacherib, which he has sent to mock the living God. Verse 17, truly, O Lord, the kings of Assyria have laid waste the nations and their lands and have cast their gods into the fire. For they were not gods, but the work of men's hands, wood and stone. Therefore, they were destroyed. So now, O oh Lord, our God, save us, please, from his hand that all the kingdoms of the earth may know that you, O oh Lord, are God alone. Hezekiah prayed for God's purpose and glory to be established, for it to be revealed Saying to the Lord, they're mocking you, O Lord, not just your people. This letter's for you, O God, not just for me as your representative. And then he said to God, they've assumed that you're like all the other idols that they have destroyed. They think that you've been made out of stone or out of wood, but you, you, O Lord, you are the living God. 
You're alive and I know it. He may not, but I do. And I'm calling upon the fact that you're alive and that you work on behalf of your people. And then he said, incline your ear, God. Open your eyes, O Lord. Save us that the earth may know, that the earth may know of your fame, that the earth may know that you are God and God alone. Pastor J.D. Greer said, our most effective prayer is discerning what God wants and then asking him to do it. Our most effective prayer is to, to get in on what God desires and then agree with him on it. We can do that. This right here tells us what God wants. The best way that you can read through the Bible is pray through it. Pray the things that God has revealed. Find out what God, discern what he wants, and then pray his will be done. You'll be changed in the process, and your request will get changed in the process, and you'll start praying with power, knowing that when you say to this mountain, be moved, it jumps, because you're praying the will of God. Too many people are praying their little petty prayers. Help me, bless me, do for me, 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 me. And God's saying, pray thy kingdom come. Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Too many of us have, have settled for little minute prayers when God has given us the kingdom. Take it. Pray it. See his kingdom come. That's what Hezekiah did. He showed us how to pray to discern what God would want. Would God want his reputation drugged through the mud by this snack of ribs? No. Would God want his reputation drawn up as if he were an idol that could be made with human hands? No. You're the living God. Deal with this heathen. We ought to pray a little more like that when we have those reports come our way. When you get a report that came from hell, that came from the enemy himself, Take it to the Lord. Lay it out and say, this belongs to you. It's yours. I'm just your servant. Wow. All right, I've been fasting. I need to breathe right now. <clears throat> if I have the energy. <laughs> okay. All right. So here's how God follows through. And he sends his prophet, the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah was the prophet in Hezekiah's day. Verse 32. Therefore, thus says the Lord concerning the king of Assyria, he shall not come into this city and shoot an arrow there, nor come before it with a shield or cast up a siege mound against it. By the way that he came, by the same way he shall return. And he shall not come into this city, declares the Lord, for I will defend this city to save it for my own sake. God just owned that letter. He just picked it up and said, you're right, it's addressed to me. This is what I'm going to do for my sake. And for the sake of my servant David. Wouldn't it be great to hear the Lord say that on your behalf? I'm doing this. Not just for you, but for my sake, because you're mine. Verse 35, and that night 
the angel of the Lord went out and struck down 185,000 in the camp of the Assyrians. When people arose early in the morning, behold, these were all dead bodies. Then Sennacherib, king of Assyria, departed and went home and lived at Nineveh. And as he was worshiping the house of his god, Nisroch, Adramelech, and Sherezer, his son, struck him down with the sword and escaped into the night, into the land of Ararat. And Esarhaddon, his son, reigned in his place. Man, what a story. What a story. The prayer of a godly king addressed that letter to him, but he handed it to the real owner. That prayer worked, and the, the answer from an almighty God. I'm a history nerd, and I love the History Channel. And uh, I find it very interesting, as I started researching this, that archaeologists have uncovered Sennacherib's palace in Nineveh. And... In that palace, they found a wall inscribed with all of his military conquests. They're all there inscribed on the wall, his military victories, detailing how he won every one of them. And Jerusalem is listed there. But all it says regarding Jerusalem is that Hezekiah was trapped, quote, like a bird in a cage. Hezekiah was trapped like a bird in a cage, which is true. He was. But then it stops. There's nothing more of inscribed, inscribed there. Unlike all the other conquered cities, nothing more is said about Jerusalem because there was nothing else to say. God did something. And before his own two sons murdered him in cold blood. He inscribed and didn't have the gall to write up there, and I won, because God won. Now, from the very beginning of his reign, Hezekiah, at 25 years of age, was one of the best kings of Judah. He did what so many others failed to do. He tackled the idol worship in the land. He removed the high places of Baal. He tore down and shattered the Asherah poles, which were uh, to the goddess Asherah, which were fertility symbols. And he even destroyed the bronze snake that Moses had made in the wilderness for healing. You can read about it in Numbers 21. He, he destroyed that because the Israelites had made it an idol. They'd taken something God intended for their blessing and turned it into an idol that they made sacrifices before and saw it as a magical symbol. It just shows you that human hearts always tend towards idolatry. And that hasn't changed. Our idols are much more sophisticated, but they're still idols. The Bible puts it plainly that Hezekiah did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father David did. He was a great king. And now in the face of great opposition, Hezekiah does it again. He... He leads the people in prayer. He himself prays, and he leads them to put their confidence in God and in God alone. No matter the overwhelming odds that they faced, he believed that God was living and active and would defend them. And God did. Hezekiah knew prayer was the only means by which God's victory would be revealed. 
We need to know that. We need to realize that it's not by might, nor by power, but by his spirit, says the Lord. We need to know that it's not our efforts or our intelligence or our cunning or our strategies or our abilities or our capabilities. It is God and his spirit. And the only way we tap into that is through prayer, just like Hezekiah did. Three quarters of the Assyrian army killed, not by Hezekiah's army, but by one angel of the Lord in one single night. They woke up that morning and 185,000 dead bodies strewn as far as the eye could see. And they had done nothing. Not one sword had been drawn. Not one arrow had been shot. Not one Judean soldier had even been touched, much less killed. And they were dead. And God had won a victory on their behalf. And the Assyrians had been ravaged by the angel of the Lord. All because Hezekiah prayed and God answered. That, my friends, is the power of prayer. It's still available to us today. But it's not the only time that we see Hezekiah praying. And I'm going to warn you here. I'm going to go a little bit longer than I normally do. Um, Oh, thank you, Jay. I knew you'd be excited. <laughs> I just wish I could cite other people, so that's okay. Uh, but it, it's not the only time that we see Hezekiah praying, uh, because the next chapter opens like this, verse 1 of chapter 20, 2 Kings. In those days, Hezekiah became sick and was at the point of death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amoz, came to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord, set your house in order, for you shall die. You shall not recover. Now, I don't know why he got sick, and we don't really know what all was happening there, and we don't really know why the Lord decides to tell him, this is it, come home, be with me. There's nothing wrong in that, by the way. We're all going to face that unless the Lord comes back before we do. And so, I don't know what was happening there, but it caused Hezekiah great distress. He didn't want to go. He didn't want to die. And so the Bible says that he turned towards a wall, and he wept bitterly, and he poured his heart out to God, and he pled that the Lord would take away his sickness and restore him. And before Isaiah could get out of the king's court, God spoke to Isaiah and said, turn around and go back and tell him, I've heard your prayer. I've seen your tears. I'm going to give you 15 more years. <clears throat> now, some feel like Hezekiah in this episode um, wasn't at his best. Some feel like that he's a little whiny and that he's pouting, you know, turned to the wall <laughs> and cried. I don't know. Maybe that's the case. Others see that this is just Hezekiah's prayer closet, that this is where he went and he poured out his heart before the Lord and to believe God. I don't know which one it is. It doesn't really tell us. All that we know is that regardless of his emotional state, God heard him both times and answered both times. Prayer works. On both occasions, Hezekiah's prayer for God's intervention was answered both times. And that would be a great place for this story to end. I wish I could say, da-da, he lived 15 more years, and then he went home to be with the Lord, he was buried with his fathers, and it's all over. But that's not the case. There's something 
more. Something else happens with Hezekiah, and it's very telling and not near as flattering. Hezekiah does recover. He asks for a sign, and the Lord gives him a sign, even lets, the, even lets Hezekiah decide what kind of sign he's going to have. He gets the sign, and sure enough, he recovers. And sure enough, he's well, and he's excited. But almost tangentially, we, we hear a new character entered into the story, a new, a different kingdom. We've been talking about Assyria. We've been talking about Judah. And now all of a sudden we hear about the son of the king of Babylon. Where did he come from? I don't know. But whatever it was, the king of Babylon heard that Hezekiah had been sick. And so he sends an envoy to go see about him and bring a gift to him and probably spy on him. And probably see, is Hezekiah really well or can I take him now? That's probably what's going on. Let's not uh, impute righteous motives to the king of Babylon. But regardless, he sends this envoy to Hezekiah and Hezekiah reveals his bad side, his ugly side, his backside. (laughs) He shows himself not as noble is we have been led to believe. And he was in all those moments. I'm not taking anything away from him. The Bible says in black and white, and Hezekiah did what was right in the sight of the Lord, just as his father David did. But remember, David sinned. We have that recorded. And so does Hezekiah. This would have been a great opportunity. This, this other king, this envoy from Babylon comes. This would have been a great opportunity for Hezekiah to brag a little on his God. Brag a lot. I mean, you know, he could, have, he could have boasted to the nations about how God had delivered him from the evil Sennacherib. He could have, he could have praised God in the midst of this foreign uh, person about God's healing power and how he was been restored and he could even meet with him now because of God's touch. But when the Babylonians show up, Hezekiah shows off. And he doesn't give any praise to God. Look at verse 13. And Hezekiah welcomed them and he showed them all his treasure house. The silver, the gold, the spices, the precious oil, his armory. All that was found in his storehouses. There was nothing in his house or in all his realm that Hezekiah did not show off. I mean show them. Hezekiah gives no glory to God. No report on how God saved him, no recognition of God's blessing, protection, deliverance, not even a mention of his God or a visit to his temple. He's just showing off his own stuff, his own house, parading through the king's storehouse and peering at his own wealth and touting his own accomplishments. And flaunting his own power. Oh my. The writer of Second Chronicles in telling about the story says that Hezekiah revealed his pride. And after the Babylonians left, the prophet Isaiah shows back up. Oh, those pesky prophets. Like it when they give me a good word. Don't like it when they don't. Isaiah shows up. Verse 17, and this is what he says to Hezekiah after asking him what happened. And Hezekiah admits it. And then Isaiah says, Behold, the days are coming when all this is, 
all this is in your house and that which your fathers have stored up till this day shall be carried to Babylon. Nothing shall be left, says the Lord, and some of your own sons who will come from you, whom you will father, shall be taken away and they shall be eunuchs in the palace of the king of Babylon. This is what Hezekiah said. Get this. Then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, the word of the Lord that you have spoken is good. For he thought, why not? If there will be peace and security in my days. What? What? Why not, Hezekiah? After God has so richly blessed you and healed you, and protected you, now you're going to be all proud and self-centered? How can you say, who cares about those that come after me as long as it's good for me? I'm good with that. This is a good word because they'll have to deal with my problems, not me. Oh my goodness. Hezekiah was a godly king. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord right up until he got proud. Right up until he started believing in his own press. I've been watching a lot of what's happening in the American church. Where leaders, pastors, become celebrities. And start building these huge kingdoms of idolatry. I want to be careful. I don't want to speak against my brothers and sisters in Christ. But God... Resist the proud. And judgment begins at the household of faith. I ask you to pray for me that I don't grow proud. Pray for yourselves that we don't grow proud. Right up until Hezekiah got proud. And it's just as easy for us to receive God's blessing and also slip into this prideful self-absorption ourselves. We're prone just like Hezekiah was. Israel did it repeatedly. The Pharisees did it. The best kings of Israel did it. We can do it too. Hezekiah can teach us how to pray. But we really don't need to be taught how to be proud. It comes naturally. God redeems. He delivers. He heals. He prospers. He sets us into community. He gives us a good church. He pours every spiritual blessing upon us. He gives us everything that we need that pertains to life and godliness. And we can so easily start thinking it's all about us. All about our comfort. All about our blessings. All about our prosperity. All about our glory. Hezekiah's sin was not idolatry or immorality. It was pride. He basked in his own accomplishments when he should have given glory to God. And he only cared about his own life, not the lives of others, even his own children. Such an excessive view of yourself without regard for others or acknowledgement that God is the giver of all good gifts. That kind of excessive view is pure, unadulterated pride. 
And as Augustine said, it was pride that changed angels into devils. And God himself, through his prophet Jeremiah, said this in Jeremiah 9. Thus says the Lord, let him, excuse me, let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boast in this. That he understands and knows me. That I am the Lord who practices steadfast love justice, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. So what are we? Are we prayerful people? Or are we prideful people? The damaging truth is, we could be both. Just like Hezekiah was. Just because we know how to pray doesn't mean we're not susceptible to pride. In fact, it may make us more susceptible to pride. May we, church, in these days grow in our praying of kingdom prayers. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done where we find out what God wants and then pray for that. Where we give up on our piddly little weenie prayers about me, 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 and we start praying, thy, 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 thy. And may we not be overwhelmed by the opposition, by the insurmountable odds, by all that we're facing, that which is coming against us, but may we spread out the report in the presence of the Lord. May we give that letter to its real owner and let him read it and let him respond. And may we not grow proud and self-absorbed, but rather boast in this, that we understand and know God. I want to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. That we would know him, that he is the Lord who practices steadfast love, hesed, covenant love, justice, and righteousness in all the earth. May we not be a prideful people, but may the Lord always see us as his prayerful ones. Amen. One of the things that, that Chris knows about me is how much I appreciate um, the thread of revelation that God brings. And I particularly enjoy community Sundays where there's a prophetic word and then there's something in worship and then, then the, what the fit folks share who have testimony and then the message, like you can so see yeah. a thread of God running all through that to push and pull and poke us <laughs> in the direction we need to go. And I really feel that so strongly today.
But for me, it started um, with Roger's prophetic word this morning about the fact that the fast isn't designed for us to feel better about our walk with the Lord, but that it's designed to bring freedom to those who are in captivity. And when he was praying that, I thought, yes, it is an ever-increasing kingdom that produces ever-increasing freedom. Right. And so I was, I was thinking about how God invades our lives with the kingdom. I realized that the, there, the Hebrew word for anoint means penetrating, invading. And so then that led me to a passage in Isaiah. I just want to read a piece of this before I pray for us. And you guys know this, this passage. But he says, The Spirit of the Lord God is on me because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted and to proclaim liberty to the captives and freedom to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and to comfort those who mourn. And when you read what the calling is, you can see why this dual message of the power of prayer and then the danger of pride is so important. Because, wow, if we really do preach good news and bind up broken hearts and set captives free, it'd be super easy (laughs) to become Hezekiah in the latter part of his life and look around and say, wow, look at what we've done and miss the reality that all that we have done, the Lord has accomplished for us because he has penetrated us with the kingdom of God, doing it unto him, but by him and and for him. Um, I don't know that I'm being as clear out of my mouth as as I feel it in my heart, but the word today is exactly what, Christina was hearing from the Lord in her fasting. Yes, he's asking us to give him some things that we need to let go of, but he's also asking us to pick up some things to invest. invest. I loved that word, to invest. And so today, don't get hung up on whether you're the prayerful Hezekiah or the prideful Hezekiah, because as Chris so kindly and compassionately said to us, we're both. (laughs) Thank you for that, babe. We are both. What we need to find out is how do we let the kingdom of God penetrate us so that we live in the freedom that he's called us to so that we can minister freedom to people who need it, whether they're the prayerful Hezekiahs or the prideful Hezekiahs. It doesn't matter. That's right. It's a a non-issue. The spirit of God is big enough to cover all those things. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for such a clarifying and penetrating word. Thank you for holding up a mirror so that we can see ourselves more clearly, so that we can see us in light of you. Don't let us leave the mirror and forget what we look like. Make us doers, Lord, not just hearers today. Don't let us feel the conviction and confess and move on. 
Let us hear and obey. Let us hear and amend. Let us hear and, and believe that your kingdom is advancing in us and yes. in the world, yes. in our sphere of influence, with people that have been on our prayer list for years. You are at work even when we don't see it. Mm. And so we acknowledge that you are the only king. Mm. We bow our knee. We agree with your assessment. And we ask you to bring us to obedience. Yes, Lord. To do whatever it takes, Lord, for us to lay down our selfishness and our pride and to participate in your ministry of reconciliation and freedom. Thank you, Lord. Lord, you're serious. You're serious about these things because they matter. It matters that we could know the power that is available to us when we pray, thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. When we lay before you in your presence the reports we've received because they belong to you, because you purchased us. You're serious about us wanting to know that what we have in prayer is powerful. It changes things. It unleashes things. It annihilates that which opposes us. It vindicates and establishes your people. But you're also serious about our tendency to fall into pride, thinking somehow we were the ones that did it when it was you all along. We show our storehouses. We look at all that we've gathered, all that we've accumulated. We tout our own words our own fame, our own glory. In so doing, we've, we've replaced you with ourselves. Forgive us, oh God. You resist the proud, but you give grace to the humble. We humble ourselves before you, O oh Lord. Be merciful to us. Let us walk in the truth of your word in the power of the Holy Spirit. The world needs a people that is humble before God, but has the power at its fingertips that is the result of prayerful lives. We commit ourselves, ourselves, our, our, our lives to your way. Help us to be that kind of people. In Jesus' name. Let's stand together.